Hello and welcome to season three of Movies and Tea. I'm your host, Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is my wonderful co-host, Miss Kim Love. Hello. And tonight's show, we are going to be, as I said, we're kicking off a brand new season, which means that we have a new director's filmography to look at. And if you haven't looked at our Facebook feed or you looked on our, our main blog, um, which is moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com, um, you will have seen already that we are going to be covering this season the work of Sofia Coppola. Um, now, for those obviously not familiar with her work, she is obviously a key component of the American indie uh, scene, especially coming to prominence in the early 2000s. Um, but at the same time, she's a woman of many, many hats. As she's not only a director, but she's a producer, an Oscar-winning screenwriter, actor, model, fashion label owner, photographer, as well as a member of the Coppola dynasty, which, let's not forget, includes her father, Francis Ford Coppola, her grandfather, um, who was, a again, an Academy-nominated composer. Her brother, Roman, is a regular con- Tributor to the work of Wes Anderson. Um, at the same time, her cousins include Nicholas Cage and Jason Schwartzman. And she's, as I said, she's this rare sort of combination where she satires the um, the celebrity of Hollywood at the same time, creating these world which essentially bites the hand that feeds feeds her. She's a celebrity film and privilege certainly a privileged filmmaker who's one of her great loves and recurring themes is the attacking of celebrity culture and tonight we're going to be uh taking our first sort of look at her filmographies we're going to be starting with her debut film the virgin suicides now before we obviously uh dive into that uh film i mean kim when it comes to Sofia Coppola, is she a director that you had sort of much experience with her work before, or is it sort of like one of those directors where you've seen one or two films and there's some big gaps in the filmography there? I'd say that most of her new stuff I haven't seen. So mm. I started out with Lost in Translation, and then I watched Virgin Suicides, I think it was last year, or the year before, I can't remember, but it might have been the year before. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's been recent that I've seen Virgin Suicide. So, you know, I don't really know any of her newer stuff. Like, I know they exist and I know what it's about, but I haven't really gone to look for it. Mostly because I think it's just... Sofia Coppola is kind of like this director who makes movies that are so, I don't know, maybe abstract. That yeah. it feels like there's no purpose, but... You know, it's kind of like those movies that really takes a few viewings probably to really understand it completely and to really, you know, appreciate it. Definitely, I would say that she does make very sort of abstract uh, films in many ways when we can look, uh, we can like sort of compare her to. It, she's the director is very hard to sort of like compare to, to others. I mean, even in comparison to her own father's work, she's works in a completely different end where obviously Francis Ford is there making like epic films such as like the Godfather trilogy and Apocalypse Now. Sophia's films in comparison are much smaller yeah. and she trades that trades in sort of like the grandeur for a more intimate uh, sort of look in her worlds. And yeah. by t- she's been fiercely sort of loyal to the independent scene Perhaps preferring like the creativity over the studio control that obviously working with bigger budgets would have, and there's so many. There are numerous recurring themes within her work. Uh, one of the sort of main ones really is the fact that we've got characters who are often sort of suspended in moments of transition. Uh, she's also tends to do a lot of a lot of films where if they're sort of like driven by female characters. Um, and she is also known as a director whose films are less about you know dialogue and plotting and just more about moments. And as such, she's a very visual-driven director, which is, can be linked to her background as a photographer before she decided to become a director. I mean, she 
originally had no ambitions to be a director and to follow in her father's footsteps and it was only really after she was given a copy of the book by um the lead singer of sonic youth Thurston Moore, that she sort of hit upon this idea of wanting to make it make the book a film because when she was reading it she said that she saw in her mind exactly how it would turn out so even though she didn't have the rights to the book she went ahead and and wrote her screenplay for the film which even her father was like well you know why are you bothering to do this if you've not got the rights to it it's a completely complete waste of time and it was sort of like one of those happy sort of moments really where the fact where the film it was obviously being at the time it was being produced by Muse Productions uh they'd already commissioned a script from Nick Gomez and they were going for their own production hell with the film they weren't happy with the script that Gomez was submitting and basically when the rights the book relapsed um she saw it as her opportunity to submit her own screenplay and she brought her on board the original producers from muse productions to help bring the uh get the funding for the film and it's really from there she's sort of only sort of gone from strength to strength as a director and it's really sort of developed her own sort of style and her own sort of name when and i think it's always going to be the problem if you're like a a child of a, a famous you know a famous creative person be it like an author or another director there's always going to be those comparisons drawn that you know perhaps you're going to be like copying your parents famous parents work i mean we had this with like jennifer lynch uh with boxing hannah where she was obviously being compared to uh father david and saying oh look she's just like trying to copy what daddy does and You've got like Joe Hill that who even though he changed his name, comparisons were still being drawn to his his work of his father Stephen King. So I think sometimes it's uh it, it's important during these early films to sort of like really sort of stand out that and move or do something completely different to what your famous parent is is doing. Um, and certainly she does that here with Virgin Suicides because as we mentioned earlier, it's completely different to the scale than what her father's doing. This is a very sort of intimate it's a very small scoped film um as here we're sort of presented with this coming of age tale with like a dark edge to it very similar to like rob rayner's stand by me mm-hmm. but at the same time i mean this is a film which i don't know yourself can but I've, i really struggled to get into this film first time i saw it I've, much like um Darinowski's pie i just felt that maybe i wasn't smart enough or i was missing something with this film it's like if i was like a, a little smarter i'd probably have got why why uh, people like this movie so much i don't I, I mean i'm kind of in the same field as you which is kind of i think one of the reasons why we decided to do coppola in general because sofia coppola is kind of like this this area this kind of like gray area you can really appreciate what she does once you understand it but if you don't it's very confusing I remember the first time I watched Virgin Suicides and I was like, I, I finished the movie and I was like, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> what did I just watch? Um, and then I was just like, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is like, you know, you already know what's going to happen. And yet the process of watching it, um, I think this time that I rewatched it a second time, it feels so much more... I think I felt a lot more of the movie and what it was trying to say. Um, maybe it's because I have more experience because of, you know, all the episodes we've done looking at all different type of directors and stuff in the, you know, the past two seasons. Um, it's just, you know, you're more, you know, you see the details a little bit more. So yeah. I kind of appreciate it this time a little bit more. I don't, I can see why people, you know, are quite hyped about, are quite like hyped about this one and really like it. But at the same time, I still feel like, you know, while I think the thing I appreciate the most out of Coppola, and I really hope that as the season goes on and I see more of her movies, especially the ones I haven't seen yet, that, you know, it still keeps up that beautiful, you know, visual camera work that she uses. And, you know, that detail of, um, because in reality, um, when I was in, um, when I was in college, I took a, a um, movie kind of like movies and film sort of thing and you kind of yeah. like see the different details of how certain scenes are done and and if you and you look at Coppola's um movie especially like Virgin Suicides and, and what there are a lot of scenes that she really does really great camera work in that sense where you know it feels off but it really shows you know the person's feeling and you know whether 
you know, whether she, you know, whether they're they're important or they're feeling big or small at that moment and that sort of stuff. So uh, I think that Coppola, you know, she she has a lot of skill, especially in that sort of um, concept. And, you know, we were talking, you were talking about, you know, the way that she went a different way from her father. And I think that, you know, that's that's a really smart thing for her because, you know, it's kind of like moving away from the big and kind of like going backwards kind of sets her apart a little. So I think Virgin Suicides is like kind of like the, that movie that really, you know, gives her that separation where it's not, you know, it's not about, you know, especially because she's taking that, you know, female angle as well a lot yeah. of the times. And that really, you know, gives her that angle of, you know, giving, you know, just girls who are coming of age or, you know, the feelings that they feel. And, you know, while the girls aren't really going through a lot, they're going through like everyday things in Virgin Suicide. And and yet it's part of that growing up, that complex inside change that you have that, you know, you don't see and is so baffling to everyone around them. That's, you know, kind of like the key to this film, I think. Mm, definitely. And it's funny, I mean, I know for a lot of people, their sort of entry point into Coppola's work was through Lost in Translation. And when I saw, I mean, I saw um, Virgin Suicides around the same sort of time that I was all like really sort of getting into films. So this is like early 2000. And it was when Lost in Translation came out, I made no connection between Virgin Suicides and, and that. And it was only when you sort of like read into reviews and stuff and it's like, oh, she also did Virgin Suicides that you start making the connection there. But I mean, Virgin Suicide, I watched it once and while the experience wasn't so bad, I just felt in many ways that um, I came away thinking that I'd missed something and that the ending in particular, which we'll get into in a bit later, um, the way that it ended that I'd sort of like missed something on and came away felt kind of like you that you think you're going to get this big sort of answer of why why the girls ultimately choose to to, to do what they do uh, but there is no real answer and I think that's what made the second this more recent viewing just a lot more easier to take because you know you don't go in expecting answers because you know there are no answers to give it's just this this situation like uh like these boys you're gonna be left to sort of muse over this and 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 ponder about it and i think like the book the book is the book itself is very problematic and i think certainly now having seen a few of her films i can appreciate appreciate what she was uh, going for and then it's unique in the fact that as a a first-time director she's already established her style when we look at other directors um such as like you know tarantino we look at wes anderson the first film is normally them sort of getting comfortable with the director's sort of chair and it, we don't sort of see them sort of developing like the themes that really sort of define their work into like the second film uh sort of like when it was like rushmore and with tarantino obviously Pulp fiction where we see those them really sort of getting comfortable with the established themes and with Coppola she's right from the start I mean even when you look at her first film Lick the Star the little short film she did about the girls plotting to um, arsenic poison the boys in their school to make them weak drawing, drawing inspiration from a plot point from Flowers in the Attic uh, she's already sort of like building on these ideas and it's really when she gets into like Virgin Suicides that she's approaching it with that more visual sort of style as well so Right from the start, she's like laying out these ideas of the sort of stories she wants to tell and how she wants to tell them, and then we get into she actually gets sort of a bigger canvas with Virgin Suicides, and we start seeing like those real sort of style um, sort of flowing through into it, which is really something interesting to see. But yeah, I think definitely the fact that she's she's going the independent route is 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 what what she really sort of needs, and I think when you consider the fact that you have critics who are still blasting her for a performance in Godfather Part 3 where she played Michael Corleone's daughter mm-hmm. and uh, she only steps into the role because Renona Ryder dropped dropped out so she was drafted in by a father obviously you know I've got a daughter who's pretty and can act kind of <laughs> um, <laughs> I just draft her in I mean she's been, I, she's cameoed in the other two because she plays um, Corleone's good daughter in the first first film she's just a baby she plays the immigrant child in the second film and obviously she gets more of a role in the third film which while it's awful her performance is 
is actually pretty flat. Um, but for some reason, there's a there's several critics who are just like constantly drawing. Whatever she does, she's constantly like they constantly mention this performance she gave in Godfather Part Three, and it's like for Christ's sake, let it go. <laughs> How long ago was that movie, and you're still going on about it? And I mean, even she she's done other things even before she gets behind the camera. I mean, she's her first writing piece she does is um, her father's portion of New York Stories, Life Without Zoe. She does other acting things um, again for her father. She's which she also helps with like the casting of Kathleen Turner because she played a her younger sister and it really sort of comes into play I think with Virgin Suicides everything sort of comes together all these connections she sort of makes um, she sort of all comes together so she comes into like Virgin Suicides with this incredible cast I mean she's got Kathleen Turner and she's got James Woods who obviously recruit, was recruited thanks to her father passing him the script um, two really underrated actors I, I just want to like just start straight off with saying because I think that their performance in this film as the parents is really overlooked because we tend to focus like on Kristen Dunst who was hired really as a gut um, sort of a gut um, couple of just going off her gut that you know there was something about Dunst that that you really want to play and bring in and have her play this sort of like the sex symbol of the group Lux who obviously have this key sort of like catalyst uh, moment that sort of like leads to the sort of the finale here but um, just obviously speaking of like Kathleen Turner and James Woods I mean how did you find the parents the role of I the think, parents in this I film? think actually the parents was such a it was kind of like this subtle force hmm. so I think that the parents were done really well obviously I really like Kathleen Turner I've seen James Wood I can't pinpoint what he's done I probably can IMDB that at some point no, I think that because, you know, I think as we think that, as we look at this, there's a lot of subtle themes here about, you know, control. And the parents have this really, um, I guess, a bit of a contrast in their form of control over the girls. And it's that control that I think probably drives them a little to what they do. I think it's kind of like a hint of what that is, right? I think it can certainly be seen that way. I mean, certainly when we when we look at the way that the girls are raised, I mean, the mothers are devout Catholic, um, and the parents just generally, they're very overprotective, so they've kept them away from boys, and they've basically kept them in this almost like dog-tooth-style world where, like, the family unit is, like, the whole world. They've not really had any sort of contact with boys in the outside world, and it's really the, um, the attempted suicide of the younger sister, Celia, and the psychologist sort of recommendation that, you know, they they have some sort of interaction with with boys in the outside world because he believes that's the reason that she tried to tried to kill herself. Even though her her sort of main reasons for attempting to kill herself were never really overly clear. Certainly for myself, it didn't seem it comes across as uh, overly clear. Because I mean, her only sort of reason is that you know, doctor, you've no idea what it's like to be a was it a. 12 year old girl or something 13 year old she's a 13 year old girl which for that line alone i've had so many um sort of critics and sort of like fellow film fans have said that you know oh you didn't get this film because it's not meant for you it's it's a it's a film designed for girls like the craft and that was confused me because i mean this is very as well it's obviously about these these girls it's also you've got this coming go of age sort of tale for these boys who are obsessed with yeah. the girls and in particular getting access to the girl world that these these um these sisters inhabit and we see this constantly you know this, us like the boys we're looking for windows we're getting all these little glimpses uh off with like the telescope and we're trying to constantly get access to this this secretive world and we see it early on when one of the boys is like invited over as a reward for helping uh helping the father character with um set up his uh solar system display in his um in his class and the fact that he's he's like a a lamb front of the walls with these girls because they've <laughs> clearly had no not much interaction with uh with boys at all so the fact that there's this boy their own age that's been brought to the family table they're they're like playing footsie under the table and being rather flirtatious, we've got Lux saying, uh, asking him if he wrestles. 
It's poor sod. Because <laughs> he's, he's there just, you know, trying to be there. The good the good boy, make a good impression. And all the while, when, as soon as he catches his moment uh, to, like, go and root around their possessions. And we see him go in, like, the girls' bathroom and he's, like, looking at all the different, all the little uh, sort of trinkets and uh, all the sort of bathroom properties of, of the girls and sort of like, oh, it's like, this is their perfume. And he's like looking at these items like they're rare objects. And when he stumbles across like um, sanitary towels in the covenant, it's like, you know, he's like, he might as well discover like the Ark of the Covenant for Christ's sake. This is like <laughs> the greatest thing to him. It's like this hidden well that he's he's got access to, which none of the other boys at this point have got any sort of access to and he's seeing all these um all these insights into the into the world and it's yeah it's as i said these it becomes this recurring theme throughout the film just these boys trying to get access to the girls world and trying to connect with these girls who are like they're just like these mythical creatures they're like you know they're they're what um I'm sure the romans are write plays about and they're just like this this <laughs> this heavenly um group of girls even though they're sort of like very they're the sort of very mundane suburban white picket fence existence they're sort of like in the boys mind they're sort of ex they're um sort of raised to this higher status there's something about there's some of this like mysterious law that these these girls have to them but i think that that's the thing is that there's also you know that time that it's filmed Mm. As well as, you know, how they're raised. And to think that this is a girl movie, it can be seen that way. I think I understand where people are coming when they talk about that. Because growing up as a girl through puberty and going up as a guy through puberty is probably very different. I obviously can't speak for guys because I'm not one. So, <laughs> uh, but I mean, I understand, you know, the growing up as a girl. And I can understand, you know, as I watch this, that, you know, there's a lot of difference as you go through puberty and you get older and there's like all these different changes in you. And then you start, the world starts opening in front of you and you start seeing all all these things and yet they're so limited, right? At, at a certain point, they're also cut off from everybody because of, you know, one sister going nuts and like just not coming home for one night. And, you know, it's it's kind of like, but the story is not only about the girls, but I think that people forget that the story is about a guy, the guys. Because if you think deeper about it, it's, the narration is all by the guys. They're all about, you know, how this world is, you know, the, how they'll never understand why they did it. And they'll never understand, you know, what caused it. And no matter how much evidence and how much they want to figure it out, like... It's kind of like that mystery point, and that's why they're so fascinated, even after they've grown up. And, you know, it's kind of like this thing in their minds that, you know, these girls are girls that they've spent a lot of, you know, they've, they've kind of like spent a lot of time um, just, you know, I guess, hanging out with them in their minds at the same time as, you know, just from a distance. So it's this fascination in them that, you know, there's this, there's this teenage girl world that, it's like the idea that girls are hard to figure out, you know, and I can I can see where they're I can see where it's trying like what it's trying to do. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the, the, the great line is like no one could understand how uh, Mrs. Lisbon and Mrs. Lisbon, our math teacher, could produce such beautiful creatures. <laughs> and it's such a as I say, it's such a boy worldview and I, this is what surprised me as well. The fact that obviously we're a female director that she, while she can obviously put her own experiences uh, like you said into the female characters but she so perfectly manages to capture the male side of things this obsession with uh with girls and we see it like early on the fact that the girl the boys get invited to a chaperone party in the basement of the lisbon house and while they're all excited to go when they get there that none of them know what to do with each other they just stand around like making really awkward conversation and they're happy when the uh, sort of like the friend from school who's got sort of Down syndrome comes because that they can, they've got like this neutral character that they can both meet on side of. Up until that point, they're just sort of like, 
awkwardly like making conversation and one of them <laughs> with like the real brass balls decides to hit on the mother character for whatever reason i don't know and while you obviously have what even though you have like this uh sort of scene where you think you know this could be like the start you know they they start making sort of like form these friendships and it's sort of like torn apart just as they're starting to make these bonds by um cecilia deciding to not only excuse herself but uh throw herself off the roof onto and so she impels herself on the iron fence the horror of this the sequence the fact that um these boys are that sort of like they're not sure whether they should like stay and 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 try to be supportive or to even sort of like uh revel in sort of this gory sort of spectacle that's in front of them because it's it's just this situation they're not prepared for just as as boys really um and we have to see them sort of like trying to be polite and at the same time get out of that get out of the house because they're faced with this very adult situation but even the sort of lead up to it i love i love the scenes where they're like trying to cover cecilia's um scars on her wrist from obviously failing previously having to kill herself in the bathtub and they've covered her bandages with like bangles and things and mm-hmm. even such like a grotesque sort of like shot that is shot so beautifully the yeah. composition of the shots and stuff and throughout even like the, the lead up as we introduced this sort of like uh neighborhood and the the picket fence we've got the people barbecuing mm. and the sprinklers and stuff and we're sort of like drawn in much like david lynch does in blue velvet where drawn into like this whole you know 1970s like yeah. uh fantasy of of suburban america and it's suddenly you're looking at it and think, oh wow, there's all these like picture shots, and then like suddenly, bang, we've got girl um, in the bathtub, and it's sort of like Cecilia was the first to go, and it's like, where the hell did that come from? You know, at least give us some sort of lead up here, and constantly when we have these moments, they come out of of nowhere. And she somehow imagines that uh, sort of same sort of skill that Park Chan-wook does, where she can take very grotesque imagery and very beautiful images and put them side by side and just really make them something special i think you know i mean it definitely is you know how she crafts all the moments that she has here i i think the the movie is more about the different moments that happen and you know obviously it has a lot to do with the fact that you you have um the, one of the boys narrating this entire experience and you know from one scene to the next it's kind of a bit like his observation and we go through a bit of like kind of like a documentary style is yeah we talk to some of the guys as well and and you know at the same time it's kind of like everybody seems to be really fascinated with them um but at the same time if we think about you know i think that as we're talking about this i think the most similar thing i can think of is that how this story is made is kind of like really similar to uh, like 13 Reasons Why. Mm, um, definitely. Exact, except for the fact that 13 Reasons Why is the girl going back and, you know, sending off tapes to tell the people who were involved in contributing to her death. Whereas, you know, in this one, we're kind of like, they're trying to figure things out as to why these things happen. And I think that when we take a look at, you know, the reasoning of why, you know, 13 reasons why and why that girl died, uh, committed suicide, you can kind of link back to the same concept here is that sometimes it's that change in you and there's a lot of things that contribute to where they are. And it could be the parents, their overprotectiveness. Um, It can also be the fact that um, there's a lot of peer pressure, especially with, you know, when all the daughters, you know, all of the girls decided to commit suicide. You can kind of see that in every single shot, um, even without having a lot said, even in that one scene or so, you can see that there's a certain level of peer pressure between them because they're so close together because they only have each other. They only have each other to, you know, kind of like learn from. So just like that scene with, you know, where Lux is um, drinking and, you know, making out with um, Trip Fontaine, played by a very young Josh Hartnett. <laughs> he is, uh, isn't he? Yeah. You kind of see that as, you know, I think the other girl was Bonnie. Um, yeah. She's younger and she kind of like, you know, she looks at her and then, you know, Lux kind of manipulates her into drinking and, sh- and kissing. 
and then she realizes she doesn't like it so she leaves but at the same time there's a lot of things is that you know lux is you know this enchanting creature kind of thing um you can call her that way i think because she really drives the movie in the sense that it's her experiences that really lead us into you know that whole different stage of you know growing up and boys and she's really like brave enough to kind of like try and step forward and explore it more whereas you know the other girls are kind of more you know laid back and they're kind of more you know they kind of sit back and observe a little more um they're a little awkward uh, but you can see in every single scene just by how they interact with the boys like in that party what each of these characters are really like you start seeing kind of like the personality of the girls and i think it's these little details that really you know make virgin suicide something like it's really subtle she really expects the audience to be smart and observant in order that's why it's a movie that you really need to see a few times catch all these little things i don't really agree that yeah maybe more girls are going to be able to relate to this but at the same time if you observe it enough you probably could catch on a lot of these little things as well yeah it's i mean there's there's many even though it's in already i mean it's a fair sort of film but we're starting to see these themes creeping through that are going to really reoccur- become reoccurring themes as we obviously go through the filmography we're probably going to find ourselves coming back to these again and again and obviously with the main one here being loneliness the fact mm-hmm. that these girls i mean the only world they know is the one that the parents have created for them so the only company really have is with themselves and outside that it's sort of like any connections they make at school but yeah i mean you said yourself lux is sort of like in terms of this story she's sort of like the wild child of the group as she's the one who's like most keen to sort of like break away and to have experiences and we see it early on when the girls are sort of allowed to sort of mingle more with like the neighborhood and uh, she's there she's using her sort of bedroom sexuality to sort of like uh tease the knife sharpener guy who's there gives her a free 10 minute demonstration because he's a pervert and obviously you said to the radio i mean she goes off and she gets involved with trip fontaine and she seems to be like the she's sort of like really sort of like this 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 key figure and the the one who's sort of like going to be the one who's going to bring the others out whereas the others seem to be quite happy to the stay in the world that they have she's the one who's like wants to get out there but she's at the same time still sort of tied to her family's rules and i think i've seen people who said oh you know it's like the parents and they're like they're the ones to sort of blame here but at the same time the parents are hardly these like demonic or monstrous characters it's even yes with the mother's a catholic but she's not like the sort of domineering like Catholic Carrie. mother <laughs> yeah i mean she's not like she's no one's getting put in the cupboard of shame here yeah. um i think that i think i think that if you think about it in that angle um I was just thinking about it now is that, you know, you can say the parents, because of their overprotectiveness and their over control over the, the, the girls, that um, there could be a contributing factor because they, but then, you know, that kind of brings out the question of parenthood, like parenting, right? Yeah. How much control is good? How much protection is good? Um, is it because they haven't been exposed to the world before that, you know, Lux's heartbreak hits her harder than, you know, and she kind of like, you know, starts making out with guys, uh, boys on, on her roof and whatever like that, right? Makes her more wild, more, you know, excited to go outside and just see more and kind of like break the rules because she's had a taste of freedom. But, you know, where is the balance? But are they wrong? Because the parents think that they haven't done anything wrong. Um, because, you know, at, at the ending, you know, when they're talking about it, they were talking about, like, none of my daughters lack for any love. There was plenty of love in our household. I never understood why. But was it love? That's the main... They did it out of love, but then is it because of their, you know, kind of like the imprisonment of the girls that they, you know, they got, you know, pretty much on house arrest in that sense, or they just were, like, locked up in their house for months on end, right? So it's... like a lot of a lot of imagination, a lot of things were going on in their minds. Um, you know, while obviously you know the boys are also having their imagination at the same time, the girls were also living through you know different things, and is that what contributed to it? There's a lot of reasons. I think I think that you know there isn't one reason why something happens, and that's pretty much what I feel the story is about. Is that you know life 
is, you know, not the whole thing that you see. It's a collection of things that happen, a, a different elements in your life that cause you to make decisions. But at the same time, it's really obvious that, you know, that the mass suicide that they had was, 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 a, I feel like a part of it was, you know, peer pressure. Because obviously they didn't die altogether in one way. They died in various parts of the house, you know? And, you know, I think that that part, and I don't know if we should jump to the ending right now, but, you know, I think that that ending section segment was done so well because, you know, it kind of like, especially like, as you, you don't know and the boys are going downstairs and, and you kind of just see that, you know, is it a whole setup for them, right? Where, oh, yeah. you, know, they, you know, they just see like, it's just those feet everywhere. You don't really <laughs> see what happens, but then they talk about what happens and how each of them died. Yeah, because it's basically we get to the end where we think that you know the boys are going to help the girls escape, and we have We're having this the, fabulous imagination about the yeah. Thing we have this fantasy where you know they're on this road trip and they're going off to fantastical places. The basic because up until this point, towards the end, I mean the girls are pretty much on on complete lockdown, so they order like catalogs and magazines uh, just so that they can live these sort of like the world outside the family home and they can go on these fantastical trips in their mind at the same time the boys are ordering the same same uh same things that the girls are so that they can be joining them and we see these like snapshots of them and they're like this in thailand and uh, china <laughs> and like going to these really exotic places and having these wonderful adventures and the sort of lead up to them where they're sort of going to liberate them so to speak and they've got this this sort of like daydream where they're on this road trip and everyone's sort of like happiness and like wonderful sunshine and they go to the house and she's like you know just wait here we'll be right back and they sort of like they then obviously go to find out where Lux has gone and they find you know they stumble across the the bodies of, of the remaining girls and the fact that they've all choosing to end their lives in different ways be it through sticking their head in the oven or hanging or um asphyxiation uh, in the case of lux in the in the garage it's like bang just straight out of nowhere we get no pre-warning of it there's no premeditation it's just like suddenly hits you and we're left like the boys we have no clue why this has happened and i think in in the minds of yours there's always that this idea that we have to assign blame and in this case, it's obviously the, the most obvious one would be the parents. But when we look at the parents, I mean, they're, hard, they're constantly willing to move boundaries. It's like, yes, with the death of their daughter, they sort of like close ranks and they want to try and protect their daughters. And at the same time, they're willing to sort of move ranks and it's through the through the father. The fact that he's willing to let them go to the Lux to go to the dance if all the other daughters go to the dance as well. Um, so we see like the boys, they organize this mass, they organize dates for the other sisters so that, uh, Lux can go to this, this high school dance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really cute scene. Um, <laughs> and then we see a very young Hayden Christensen. <laughs> I know. I, I, it only spot it after us. I didn't yeah. see him and go, Oh, that's Hayden Christensen. Um, <laughs> but again, there's more, there's more wonderful clumsiness. I, I think that just the interactions between boys and girls in this movie is so yeah. wonderfully clumsy because, I mean, I know growing up as a boy, I couldn't talk to girls. It's sort of like, you know, the only way I could talk to girls is by making mixtapes and <laughs> and just like <laughs> finding ways through, through like, uh, through, through like that, that I could uh, obviously talk to girls because if you try to talk to girls, it's just a lot of sweatiness and umming and ahhing and running away <laughs> and shouting things at <laughs> a distance. <laughs> which is kind of what we see here and yeah so it, it is very you know it is very like binded to reality in that sense um but yeah um but yeah it's just, i was saying these like the parents i mean they it's when lux obviously can breaks curfew because she's always been off having sex with trip fontaine on the football pitch and the whole fallout of that situation sort of really is when they get they've really sort of locked down in in the family home and the fact that the boys are there, they 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 can't talk to the girls, so they use records mm -hmm. and Morse code to talk to the girls, which I thought was is a really nicely shot sequence, and I like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I love the musical selections of that scene as well. So, but um, yeah, it's it constantly feels like these parents are faced with a situation where they're not 
they they feel like they haven't been trained to handle. I mean, obviously, a child's suicide is very difficult to handle. So you would want to draw ranks. You want to protect your children. Um, but at the same time, they're not like these domineering, like all authoritative parental figures to sort of like battle against. They're very sort of like soft-spoken and very sort of, sorry, wholesome sort of characters. I mean, you know, boys can come around and they can watch TV, but we're all going, it's, it's with the family, which yeah, I've never been in that situation where you have to like sit around and watch TV with like your, your potential girlfriend's family or not, but. <laughs> I know, but I think you... that it all it all comes down to the concept of control, right? Like, mm. there's kind of like this control over the girls and then the situation, and and I think that you know if you think about it now, like I said before, it it you know you can say the parents have fault in this situation, but at the same time, you know you can't blame parents for protecting their kids, yeah, no. because and you can never and you know. To be fair, maybe there's also the subline that, you know, no one knows how to be a perfect parent, you know? <laughs> I'm not a parent yet, but, I mean, I'm fairly certain I don't know how to be a perfect parent. Like, I don't think anybody knows. Everybody just learns as you go, right? <laughs> you just do a little better next time. That's yeah, you exactly. Got to, you and, got to basically and, do. and I think that, you know, what happens is, you know, the deal with what happened with, you know, Cecilia in the front, in the beginning, where, you know, she commits suicide and why she does it is even, you know, the, the the psychiatrist couldn't figure out why. And, you know, he, you know, he pretty much prescribed, you know, you said you should let in some boys, but obviously boys were not the issue. It was something that was going on inside of her that, you know, seems to be the issue. And I think that at the same time, maybe this is like talking a bit more about the fact that there's something a little bit more going on here. Um, more than, you know, you know, there's a lot going on in the minds of, you know, teenage girls as they grow up and, you know, as puberty comes and hormones come in and all that sort of stuff that it could change how you think. And it, it and it's kind of like a crucial period in their life that, you know, certain things, if you don't notice them or you don't pick them up early enough, that it could result in other things. Hmm. I think the other issue we have here is the fact that with Coppola and their films and we're, again we're going to be returned to this throughout this re-evaluation of the filmography um, when it comes to characters' emotional state she doesn't rely on dialogue like many directors do, she mm. instead relies on visuals yeah. and to, to put put across mood and th- in many ways this creates some, some really interesting scenes like when we see you know Tripp and Lux first meet each other and then the cinema they're watching the they're watching that uh, documentary about hurricanes and their interactions. They mirror how hurricanes are made. This meeting of cold and warm air, and we see like the subtle sort of glances of hands and knowing looks at each other. Hmm. And rather than having like this, you know, overworked dialogue and stuff, it's it's a it's a mutual seduction of each other, but it's done completely without words. And I think in many ways, because she chooses this path, it does leave a lot of moments which have you've got those sort of gray areas of of what whether things mean mean different mean different things but at the same time it does create some of the more memorable shots of the film such as like when they go to um they go to to, to Cecilia's funeral and they're met with the protesters of the gravediggers union and we're kept inside the the funeral car and we see James Wood's uh, character go out and he, you see him have a conversation with these pro- with these protesters and it's as i say it's such a it's a wonderful shot and it's also a very interesting a very different sort of side to woods woods as an actor because normally he's sort of very sort of loud he's very sort of brash and mm-hmm. and uh out there and here he's like very sort of very subtle he's very uh sort of placid sort of character and i mean I, there's so many charming moments with his his character when he's like when they're like trying to arrange uh, for the boys to come out and he's making the the deal and he's sort of like you know on one hand he's like laying out you know we've laid his rules you know the girls aren't going to go to the dance and at the same time he's being presented with this plan that you know all the girls will be going out and they're all going to be looked after by these boys and he's like you know I, I can run it past the wife and it, it's just it's a wonderfully subtle role and as I said much like Kathleen Turner's performance in it they're, they're very subtle 
roles. They're not like these big brash sort of stand-up performances. They're just supporting characters, but they're just so memorable and they add so much to the film. They are just there to, you know, add the add what's needed to the 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 performance of the girls, which obviously are the main focus of the story. And Coppola, to her credit, never sort of like strays away and tries to go off on random tangents. She constantly keeps her focus on the boys and the Lisbon girls and and knows that you know this is where the story is and these other characters are only there to sort of enhance and add to their story so I just wonder you know there was one scene which I I kind of felt a little bit weird about and it was the one where you know the principal is talking to um the father right Hmm. and he's like he's like oh your daughters haven't been in school for two weeks or something and then and then at that point, he's just like looking at the plants and it feels like he's really like wandering like the father. And yeah. he's like, have you checked out back? And I was like, I don't know. He felt a little bit like <laughs> mentally unstable at that point. And I was like, does that kind of have something to do with it? And I don't know if it's just like his personality is awkward. Um, or is it just to give the, the story a timeline as to how long the girls have been out of school and the fact that. This, the principal themselves don't even know that the girls had left the school. Like, they never actually, like, told the school. They just pulled them out of school and that's it. I think it's a... I think you... You hit it on the head of it. It's, like, it's about establishing timeline. Um, really. The, certainly, it, it plays off his, his character. I mean, he's just... As we said already, he's just a mild-mannered science teacher. He's not this remarkable sort of man. He's not a... He's just, as I say, he's just a science teacher. His, his wife's a, a homemaker. These are just very average people who just have exceptional daughters. Um, in, as I said, in that sort of base level of, you know, just male fantasy, these girls are exceptional. As I mean, the fact that these boys are still obsessing over these girls, like, even as adults, it's, in, it's mentioned in the opening narration, the fact that when the boys get together, you know, at dinner parties or cocktails they their first sort of uh, conversation is always about the Lisbon girls and what happened and the fact that they've amassed this sort of like sort of very sort of almost grotesque obsession with the girls that they've collect all these little mementos of of the girls existence and they've kept them while at the end of the film with the parents moving away they basically have like erased any sort of existence they've just got rid of everything uh from the house and they've just sort of moved on as a, every time i watch this I, I think you know maybe this is the time i noticed that one detail that one trigger point but it's it's not really it's just like a collection of many little moments that lead to these girls being put in this situation where it from my own perspective it felt like they see suicide as the only escape that they have from this world that they don't see themselves being able to escape it any other way so yeah because they're because because at the end they're giving the they're given the option the boys are like yeah we're gonna go we're gonna leave you know but the whole plot of it is that you know they lured them there to find them dead to find them in the end right and i think that you know there is like kind of like they that's kind of like the plan is that they were gonna do that but you know, the trigger is, you know, what is the trigger behind it? And that's the main question. And, you know, where, you know, as audience, we never really figure it out. And I think, you know, in the end that that's the key is that, you know, everybody can have a different answer to what it is. Some people might blame the parents and, you know, their control, their overprotectiveness. Other people would blame it on, you know, maybe it's just peer pressure. Lux was feeling down. And then as they spent time together, maybe, you know, she convinced them that, you know, life was worse and they were just depressed or they were just depressed from, you know, being locked up. They had a bit of like a cabin fever craziness going on. You know, whatever the reason was, it's, you know, it, it's part of, you know, it's all part of, you know, growing up and the mysteries of, you know, the decisions you make. And um, I mean, I know that, you know, I know that I went through a phase when I went through puberty and coming of age of, you know, having some pretty dark thoughts as well. And I think that, you know, it's all part of that whole, um, hormonal change and all that different change that you're going through that you know sometimes you don't quite see the things that you are and maybe deep down there was you know there's like a hint of depression that went on with the girls as well because you know they lost their sister and then you know the world suddenly opened up and there was all these things that happened um, 
So, you know, there, it's, it's, it is a really intimate movie, and watching it a second time, I definitely appreciate it a lot more than, I think, the first time that I watched it. And, you know, you catch a lot more of those little details uh, of, you know, of, of that. And I think that, you know, probably is one of those films that now that I'm watching it a second time and I've caught so many of things, as I think more of it and we're talking more about it, I'm starting to think, you know, wow, you know, the movie is pretty good. <laughs> it's I'm finding it much like uh, with Dogtooth. I think it was only when I, I was talking to um, my co-host Lackey uh, over on uh, Movies and... Oh, sorry. Of on uh, TV Good Sleep Bad, and we were talking about Doctor Who, and it's like, oh, I thought Doctor Who was okay, but it was only after I started talking to him and started like breaking down. It's like, oh, wow, you know, all that sort of thing. And I'm finding it the same now. Obviously, we're having this discussion that, um, that I'm noticing all these like little bits about uh, about the film, and I'm, it's sort of elevating it in many ways to myself, just having this conversation that we're having now. Um, even though I can still obviously notice there are flaws in it, such as when we look at the lesbian girls, I mean, obviously. Celia gets, for her brief sort of time at the start, she gets some development. Lux gets a lot of development. Um, but the other girls, um, yeah. like, you know, Cecilia, Mary, Therese, um, they're sort of very much to the side that, you know, visually they're memorable. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they don't really get a huge amount of development. They get, like, an occasional scene here and there, but they never really get any sort of development. And. Do you feel that that was sort of detrimental to the film in any way? Would you like to see more development, or do you think, I think that I I think you know the the issue is that because we don't see these other girls, that we start having this issue of you know they may have died, but then we're even more blurry as to why they did it. Because yeah. you know there are certain ones like you know Lux, we can tell you know probably she died because of you know all that you know emotional trauma I guess that she was going through. That she was trying to numb the pain of first breakup or something. Um, or whatever that is. And then you can talk about Bonnie is, you know, she probably got peer pressured into it. You know, she got convinced to do it. But then, you know, what happened with, you know, Therese and Mary? We never know because they're kind of like these very timid characters. We never really see where they are. They're kind of awkward in the scenes that we see them interact with the boys and whatnot. But we never learn a whole lot about them. And so, you you know, when they, you know, when they leave, you know, when they when the movie ends, you don't really understand why they did it. Um, so I think that that's the main reason. Like, that's the main thing is that, you know, like, if, if there was anything, I would say that that would be one of the most detrimental points is that, you know, the lack of detail makes it hard to pinpoint. But then is it done deliberately? Because... You know, there's always, like, the shining daughter kind of moment, right? And then there's other girls who are just supporting, and they just happen to be there at that time, and then they ended up making the decision. And sometimes, you know, the people you don't see make these decisions as well, but you don't, it's because you don't understand them, because you've never, you know, communicated with them. Yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah, so, I mean, like, you know, so, you know, we talk, I just want to end on a note, because I, I did compare this to 13 Reasons Why, and I think I, I think, you know, when I, because, okay, I'm going to use this in a sense that 13 Reasons Why I only read the book, I didn't watch a TV series, okay, so I'm, I'm on different pages on how the TV series is, um, and I think that if we were to compare the two, and one being a modern version, and one being, you know, a total, total different approach to very similar situations, yeah. I would say I would prefer virgin suicides over 13 reasons why. Um, the main reason being that in virgin suicides, you feel that there's, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors to why they did it, but we never pinpoint who it is. In 13 reasons why, you take the angle that she is now plotting this big elaborate plan after she committed suicide to put guilt into different people of why they caused her death. And um, I know people are going to, like, be super angry if you're super passionate about 13 Reasons Why. And it's all about depression and all that stuff. I get it. But the book, it was structured. It was very... It made Hannah, who's Hannah Baker is the main girl, very manipulative. Because you're doing something like that, it feels manipulative. Whereas in this one, you're, you're using an observation. You're using the boys as an observation into this baffling world of girls. And, you know, you see this stuff happen and then you're trying to figure it out. 
And both, I feel like, are using that same angle of depression and some sort of emotional issues, you know, some sort of mental illness, maybe something like, you know, deep down that we don't quite know what is going on. Both of them is coming of age and both, you know, there's a lot of parallels, but, you know, this is how I feel about it. And, yeah. and that's why, you know, when I think about it, I think Virgin, Virgin Suicides is a better movie because it it might not give you all the answers, but sometimes these things don't have answers, you know? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's obviously comparisons to be drawn to 13 Reasons Why. I mean, 13 Reasons Why is obviously very clear in its sort of focus of the fact it's a mystery uh, based around a, a suicide and that you're piecing it together, all the sort of key players who led up to this sort of key moment that, that caused Hannah to take a life. And it's got, as I said, it's uh, designed, it feels like very different to audience. Um, well, I I really liked 13 Reasons Why both seasons and looking forward to the third season um it's as i said it's designed for i think a different audience than who watches virgin suicide because yeah. virgin suicide has obviously got that indie sort of sensibility to it mm-hmm. and the fact that it takes risks and it takes chances on how it tells its story but um yeah i mean with su- with i think with virgin suicide it taps into this idea that you know that sometimes with suicide it, it, there is no clear answer it's like mm-hmm. why does anyone choose to take their life there isn't always a clear answer and words with 13 reasons why there's obviously it, it's very sort of clear in who's to blame and what role they all played in in her choosing to take her life virgin suicides as we said already i mean we're much like the audience much like the boys is left to mm-hmm. puzzle over this and there's some. There, I mean, it was only this time around. I completely forgot about the whole sequence after the girls had discovered, because I thought that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. But we have this whole sort of epilogue sequence where it shows how life continues to move on. The fact yeah. that, you know, while it was this shocking event for the community, the community still moved on, and the boys uh, went on to graduate, and to the point where even we get the, um, the 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 sort of dance the graduation sort of dance and the themes of fixation mm-hmm. because of the the swamp producing all this noxious gas and we see the, uh these people like dressed in like bejeweled gas masks with uh with um dinner party wear on which i thought was a really cool shot mm-hmm. and one mm-hmm. i completely forgot was there um but yeah the fact that you can have like a girl has died by well, several of the girls have died for asphyxiation, yet, you know, a couple of years down the line, perfectly fine to have that as the theme of this this, this graduation party. Um, we see no sort of, like, thing for it. And just the idea that life moves on. Yeah. Um, I thought, while perhaps it was, it felt like it dragged on for a little longer than I wanted, because at that point I was pretty much done. Um, I think it 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 adds it adds a little more to the world. Is that that little note that you know, while this moments are, are shocking when they happen, life does continue. You know, people yeah. and, people forget. People forget, and at the same time, people also you know from from the beginning, you know, from uh, Cecilia's death, we see that you know people are trying to understand the situation and raise awareness to be you know aware of these things that can happen to you know the kids. Um, the teenage girls and whatnot, or, uh, you know, just to, and I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, effort in how that's being done. You just reminded me of, now of one of my favorite moments of the, uh, of the film. And as Cecilia dies, you've got the news yeah. channels are running, they're running the scandal story. And you've got the girl who um, planned to kill herself by putting rat poison in a pie, but her grandmother who's got a sweet tooth ate the pie. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's my Watson's humor, but that was stupidly funny. Yeah, but you know, I think that that scene actually was a nod to lick the star. Yes, because obviously um, the the girls are planning to use um, use arsenic, and and they buy the rat poison. So yeah, yeah I never made that link until just now. Wow. <laughs> Wow, you learned so, this. This is the great thing about this show. We learn something new every time we we go back yeah, and we because, evaluate. You know, there's there's a lot to Virgin Suicides to talk about, and honestly, you know, at this point, I think we've already talked about a lot of the stuff that you know that's been on our minds, and um, you know, 
a lot of it has been cleared up, I think. Um, even, even you know, I've actually gotten a clearer picture of the movie so far just by talking about it. <laughs> as, as, of, as of yesterday, when I finished watching the movie a second time, I was still thinking through some of the things. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, this is a film that, since I first watched it, I've been trying to sit down and write a review of it. And every time it's just like, it's just been that like impossible mountain to to know where it has it just felt like that movie that it's like where do i even start but like just now the fact we started and discussed it um it feels like i've i think i've i've taken a different i don't dare to say a different um opinion of the film than, than when we started this episode just um so it'd be really interesting to obviously see what uh you our listeners obviously made of Virgin Suicides, whether, you know, are you a fan? Did this show change any sort of opinions? Did it raise any sort of questions? So, you know, let us know. We'd love to hear some feedback on that. Um, um, whether just through Facebook or uh, or Twitter. Or just in the comment section, please let us know your thoughts on uh, Virgin Suicides. We'd love to hear it. Obviously, a difficult film to sort of pair with anything else, but I think throughout this episode we've somehow managed to find some interesting ideas certainly i mean you mentioned already 13 reasons why which i'd say is a very good comparison uh piece and certainly lick the star is um it's you know it's not a perfect short but it you know it's 15 minutes of your life that aren't going to exactly be wasted and it's it's a fun introduction to um introduction piece for sophia coppola and and her sort of finding her way i think it's so interesting but for myself for viewing the film that i really sort of want to recommend first off will be the wolf pack which is a documentary mm-hmm. um about these brothers who like the sisters they were kept in the family home in new york and they would only be able to sort of like escape with their like father had sort of like passed out or he'd left the key out and that they, they would go out on these excursions in the sea but the rest of the time they were just like almost like three and six five days they're in the family home and they basically spend the spend the time watching movies and recreating movies so they w- would watch movies and they write the script down they just like keep pausing the tapes and like write down the scripts and they make all their own sort of like costumes and the homemade things and they would recreate films and you see like their versions of like batman and they've like got their own bat suit that's made out of like cardboard and stuff and it's a really interesting documentary just following these boys and their eventual release shall we say into the outside outside world and the lives they're able to form for themselves um through the help of the the documentary filmmaker the fact that they were able to uh finally get this sort of freedom and and have lives of their own outside the family house but i think it's a very similar sort of situation to what we see with the lisbon girls who obviously don't start making their own films but you know they have find their own ways to escape and these boys uh find their escape through remaking their favorite films so hmm yeah i've never seen it i don't know <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah um the other one just obviously for that you know suburbia with the the dark underbelly would obviously be blue velvet which you mentioned already um and i would also perhaps want to want to pair it with as we said rob reiner's stand by me the idea of a coming of age story with that dark edge uh where we've got these four boys going on a on a road trip to see a dead body um mm. I, I think while well, it's obviously you know it's not as deep as this film i think it certainly taps in it taps in one of those rare films where it sort of taps into childhood and certainly you know they this idea of childhood and growing up together and i i know when i watched it as a kid and it's funny the fact that they have this age rating on it but it's you really want to watch it younger than than the 15 rating it had it had because you appreciate it a lot more um and yeah i think it's it's just it, it perfectly like this film it just perfectly captures what it is to be a child and growing up and trying to make sense of the world around you even if it does go on a slightly lighter attack than what we have here with virgin suicides hmm. yeah yeah anything for yourself kim yeah well i mean i already talked about 13 reasons why um obviously being one of those top ones that i linked to this one um i actually did further viewing in kind of a more um I guess an unstable mentality kind okay. of concept. So I went, um, I went with, uh, I would say girl interrupted would be one that would go really well with this one. Yeah. I came close to that myself, but yeah, I can yeah. definitely, definitely visually as well. That's uh, a really good one. So, 
Yeah, and then if you talk, um, I I had thought about White Oleander, but I'm starting to think that maybe my memory of it has faded a little, so I'm not sure if I could really pair it <laughs> with that one anymore. But I would say, like, um, I mean, on the same level of girl interrupted and the whole imagination and whatnot i think sucker punch might be a, a good one to use as well um i'd love to yeah. see that double feature it's like we're going to show you a double feature and we're going to show you virgin suicide and sucker punch <laughs> <laughs> it's all like he's <laughs> what order which order do you play do you play sucker punch first and or no, no, no. You you'd, do... have to, you'd have to play sucker punch second because as <laughs> as sad as that ending was the movie process is actually not too bad. It's like it focuses on that imagination even more than like Virgin Suicide does, right? That's awesome. <laughs> that that's a, it's like one of those those double features of like that's so weird, but that would so work. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, this pretty much brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, also, if uh, you haven't done already, do click the like and subscribe buttons where you're listening to us on iTunes or Google Play or Anchor or uh, Spotify, wherever you happen to be listening to us, you know, hit the like and subscribe buttons, leave us a review, it all helps raise the profile of the show. You can obviously follow us on Facebook and Twitter, we're also on Instagram as well. And uh, you can see our complete archive, which is moosintpodcast.wordpress.com. Um, as well as on there, we've got the Friday Film Club, where we post um, our own double features. Uh-huh. Uh, where I pick a film, Kim picks a film, we put them together in a random double feature. Sometimes there's a theme, sometimes there's not. It's just a chance for us to talk about the movies we like and uh, that we want you to check out as well. Uh, we also have our roundup on there as well, where we highlight uh, other good writing and podcasts from the community as well, so definitely worth uh, checking out. Um, also on the blog, we've got our reviews and uh, other interesting bits of writing that obviously relate to this season's directors. So obviously season one was Paul W.S. Hansen. Season two was Guillermo del Toro. And now as we enter season three of Sofia Coppola, um, you can obviously check all that out on there. But uh, thank you as yeah. always for listening. And uh, thank you, Kim. Yeah. And, you know, we have to talk about our next stop. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So for the next stop, we're heading into t- 2003. Is that like four years after Virgin Suicides? Yep. And uh, we're going to Lost in Translation. If there was a film in Coppola's filmography that has baffled me more than Virgin <laughs> Suicides, it might be Lost in Translation. So we'll see if you can change my mind on this one. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, make sure you join us uh, next time for, for Lost in Translation. But until uh, next time, just wishing you all a very good night.